The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and fans, it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want even more action? Then get in on the experience, the thrill of the DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10, at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team ends up losing. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use that promo code AOD to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code AOD only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply if you or someone you know has a gambling problem. Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 877-HOPE-NY in New York. OPGR.org in Oregon. Call text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment presented by DraftKings. I try to make it a point to be honest with you listeners, even if I don't love what I'm about to say. That said, there's no denying it. It's been a rough start to this Ace of the Day segment here this week. We're 0-4, down 3.4 units overall. Wednesday's losses in particular. Particular. They stung as each of our aces of the day comes oh so close to hitting. Of course, ace number one, Dalma Golfi, takes a 6 2 first set over Sarah Irani. Considering we had her covering a one and a half game spread, it felt like we were sitting pretty. Unfortunately, Irani manages to work her way back, win the match in three sets. Of course, ace number two, Clement Shedek, a plus 185 money line underdog against Brower. Shedek won the second set and pushed Brower deep into the third. Unfortunately, it was the big serving lefty Brower who wins that match in three sets as such. 0-4, down 3.4 units through two days of picks here this week. The good news, we have four days to make things up. And if we learned anything from the 2022 U.S. Open on this segment, it's that I'm a back half of the week player, apparently. I need to wait to see each of these players play a couple of times, get a feel for the conditions, get a feel for the narrative that feels like bursting through at through the course of any given week. I should say the narratives that emerge through any given week. Sometimes you just know who's hot to start the week, who's been hot entering an event. Does that momentum translate? All those sorts of things take a few days at times to become clear. But as we approach Thursday, September 15th, I'm feeling very good about my aces of the day for today's segment. I've got two of them for you. Again, we're focusing on just about everything except 
Davis Cup happening this week across the globe. That means looking at our two WTA Tour-level events happening in both Potaros as well as happening this week in Chennai. We've got the 125K in Bucharest. We've got four ATP challengers as well. Those seven events really going to be the meat for this segment, going to provide the ammunition for the picks I plan on making. Of course, not only do I want to run all of you listeners through the reasoning for my picks on Thursday, I also want to run you through the board of matches. Preview what I think you need to watch most closely if you want to have the best grasp on what happens on any given day in the tennis world. So, of course, these GSP Ace of the Day segments not only going to be picks or me offering picks, I should say, to all of you listeners who are interested in that sort of information, but also going to be my opportunity to preview each and every day on uh, or in, I should say, that's grammar for all of you fans in the professional tennis world. Of course, as you heard at the intro, a shout out to our friends at DraftKings for their support of this segment. This is something we've wanted to do more frequently for quite a bit of time here at Crack Rackets. Just couldn't quite find the resources to make it happen. But courtesy of our friends at DraftKings, we now have those resources. So shout out to them. And with that in mind, here are the picks I think you should look towards on the DraftKings Sportsbook for Thursday. September 15th, my two aces of the day. Let's start with the pick I'm most confident in. And folks, the pick I'm most confident in on Thursday actually happens to be a money line parlay. And we have talked all year long about how this generational shift has so clearly occurred, not only in the women's game, clearly now in the men's game as well. Perhaps nothing more symbolic of that fact than the fact that 19-year-old Carlos Alcaraz has ascended to become the youngest world number one in men's tennis history. It feels like he and Yannick Sinner, who's 21 years old, obviously the Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, Rublev, all born 1996 or later cohort, have all now officially established themselves as the majority of the ATP top 50 of the players who may not ultimately end up with the title given the presence of those pesky Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic but the guys everyone needs to get through to ultimately get to that final stage and you feel like one of those guys maybe a Casper Ruud who I didn't mention as well will ultimately be the guy who gets the shot at a Nadal at a Djokovic certainly on the women's side I think it's an even easier case to make Naomi Osaka is not even 26 years old she's got four slam titles You've had runs from Andrescu, from Kennan, obviously everything Iga Shviantek has done, and Emma Raducanu, Leila Fernandez, Coco Goff, Jungkin Wen, Clara Tossin. I can go on and on and on about the plethora of young players who have now gone about establishing themselves in the top 100, in the top 50, competing at the highest level events in professional tennis. There are two of those players competing on Thursday who do not headline their cohort, their generation of talented players, but are two you need to keep an eye on and are two who, in my opinion, are just going to be in the mix. Maybe not for the biggest titles, but when you see those second round, third round, fourth rounds at a majors or you know fourth round quarterfinals at the 1,000 level events, the 500s, the 250s, I've got a couple of names that I think will be lingering in that conversation over the next decade. Two players you should keep your eye on, as I anticipate we will see quite a bit of them down the season's home stretch. Let's start with the 
less heralded of the two players. Of course, I am referring to former world junior number two and current world number 88, Shunsin Sung, who, by the way, I mentioned this, I apologize on my video. I think I called him 20 years old. He turned 21 at the start of August. The 21-year-old is now inside the top 100 for the first time in his career. That came earlier this season. He also, of course, up to number 83 at the start of August. He actually, here's a little fun fact for you. His 21st birthday right now, August 8th, 2022, also serves as the date he has his highest career ranking ever, number 83, which he reached a month ago. And how has he climbed the rankings? Well, it's on the back of a plethora of challenger-level success this season. He's won two challenger titles, one on hard court, one on clay. He reached another clay court challenger final earlier this season sung 36 and 19 overall on the years winning 65 percent of his matches you know what rule i'm going to invoke crack rackets fans we call talk about it all the time here the two-thirds rule if you're winning two-thirds of your matches how does that manifest itself well so frequently you have draws of 32 at all of these big events, not the you know not the Masters, not the Slams, but at just about every other event, the draw is a 32 size draw or smaller. If you're winning two matches a week, it means you're getting to the quarterfinals in a round of 32 draw. And if you get to enough quarterfinals, whether it be at the ITF level, the Challenger level, the 250 level, that's how you continue to ascend the rankings. Go two and one every week, that two-thirds rule, you're going to continue to climb. Well, that's what Sung has done this year via the two-thirds rule. He has continued to climb. And the bulk of that success has come at the Challenger level. Sung's 30 and 10. Overall this season in ATP Challenger action, he's made, you know, he's played what? So he's won two Challenger titles, 12 total Challenger events. He's made the semifinals at five of them. He's made the quarterfinals in nine of 12 Challenger events he's played this season. Come on now. I mean, that's extraordinary. That's how, as a 20, turning 21-year-old throughout the course of the year, you build yourself into the top 100. And look, Sung is not a guy who overwhelms you with his size. He's about 5'10", 5'11". He's only holding serve 72.1% of the time, which is about... 10% below the average of a top 50 player, 8% below the average of a top 50 player, though it's worth pointing out he's played a very clay-centric schedule, and that 72.1% number is actually about 8% below the average of the top 50 hold percentage when it comes to clay court-specific action. But, and here's the big number— He breaks serve 31.4% of the time this season. That number jumps up to 35.4% of the time on clay courts. That would rank number one amongst top 50 players in terms of break percentage this season, even if you adjust for clay court-specific tennis. And that speaks to, again, the well-rounded nature of Sung's game. The guy is a machine from the baseline. And for what it's worth, I believe he's an IMG kid. And why do I bring that up? Well, there is... Stereotype's the wrong word, but there are traits that extend throughout the DNA of kids who spend their early years developing at IMG. There's certainly a ball machine quantity to them. You think about a guy like Michael Moe. You think about a guy like Ryan Harrison. You know, they're Christian Harrison. I, I can point to countless others. I don't want to nerd out too far, but they're ready to grind, and Sung is ready to grind. You're not going to beat him unless you do something excellent throughout the course of the match, whether it be the big serve, whether it be matching his physicality, whether it be having a definitive weapon from the ground uh, to overwhelm him with. 
And with all due respect to his opponent tomorrow, Jan Schwinski, whose last name I'm certainly butchering, and I apologize to Crack Rackets contributor Damian Koost, who would certainly correct me appropriately. You look for the 26-year-old German Schwinski's 554 in the rankings. Of course, that's coming off of a year where he just didn't play much in 2020-2021 uh, singles due to injury. Schwinski uh, currently uh, working his way back up the rankings has had some success this season. You look for him 24 and 12 overall. Now, a lot of that success has come at the futures level, and he won a 15K at the futures about a month ago at the start of August. But you look for him in challenger action. Schwinski's 45 and 51 for his career, 47% overall. He's career high 234. Obviously, that's below where Sung is now. You look for Schwinski. And again, this is a round of 16 match. He's playing against Sung tomorrow in Poland. Uh, Schwinski's made 10 quarterfinals in his career at the challenger level. Sung's made nine this season. Track record, clearly. Advantage Sung, recent level of play, clearly advantage Sung. You look at the numbers for Schwinski, you know, in his heyday, he's holding 72.8% of the time. So that's 0.7% above where Sung is at, but he's breaking 34.6% of the time. That's over 7% less than where Sung is at this season. The math points towards Sung. The math also shows us that, with all due respect, Schwinski doesn't have that overwhelming weapon. He's not going to be ripping massive first serves and teeing off on the plus one forehand with a rate of consistency that can overwhelm someone as solid from the ground as Sung. I would give the movement advantage to Sung as well. I'm leaning Sung. As you listeners can tell, the metrics suggest as much. I think the tactics suggest as much. And look, Sung's a comfortable favorite tomorrow, minus 330. You're not going to get a ton of value on that. The game spread's a little too rich for me. You'd have to take him four and a half games, which just means he's going to win 6-4, 6-4 or better. And while I do think he ultimately will do that, you know— when you're feeling a player and you feel like they're going to win for sure and they're in the parlay zone, you throw them into a parlay and you see, is there someone I can match them with to try and extract value out of the, my certainty in Sung's ability to win tomorrow's match? And the answer to that question is yes. I found someone to pair him with. In Anastasia Potapova, another former top junior in the world, Sung was number two, Potapova number one. She's currently sitting at a career high in the rankings, the 21-year-old, 45 in the latest edition of the WTA Top 100. You look for Potapova, 31-20 and 20 this season. She won a title in Istanbul earlier this year on the clay courts, made a final in Prague on the hard courts as well, and semifinal in Hamburg on clay the week before. You know, had three straight weeks where she went a combined 10-3, and three, semifinals, semifinals, finals at the 250 level through the course of July. That's one of those three-week runs. Another theory of ours that we discuss at Crack Rackets from time to time. You do it one week, that's impressive. You do it back-to-back weeks, okay, you're on a hot streak. You do it three-plus weeks consecutively. Now we have to start t- paying attention to you as tennis fans because, again, given the physicality of the game, given the parity within the game, if you're able to sustain a high level of play for 10-plus matches – 12-plus matches, as so often happens over the course of three weeks. How can we not take you more seriously? And Potapova is a player we've always taken seriously as, you know, dating back to 2018, 2019, when she was still a teenager having success on 
the tour level, obviously a top junior in the world at the time as well. And it's just because of how easy the game seems to come to Potapova, an extraordinary athlete in the Tommy Paul, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina model who just covers the baseline laterally extraordinarily well, rock solid off of both wings, forehand, the backhand in particular. You know I'm a backhand connoisseur. Her backhand is muy delicioso. It's delightful, just her ability to drive that ball down the line, cross court, short angle. She's got all the tools that she needs. The big thing for her this season has been the improvement on serve because Potapova with that well-rounded skill set, I apologize, sometimes the phone does go off, but Potapova with that well-rounded skill set has always broken serve well. Her career average coming into the season, 37.7%. She's broken serve 40.5% of the time this season. That's a top 15 number, top 12 number amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour. Her hold percentage, though, from 62.2% for her career, she's up to 66.4% this season, which is still below the average of a top 50 player by 4%. She ranks 41st amongst top 50 players in hold percentage. Excuse me. She ranks 34th amongst top 50 players in hold percentage. That's better though. That's making progress for Anastasia Potapova. And the fact that she competes so well in return games, again, if she can become an average server, you just feel like she is in that, mathematically speaking, Simona Halep, Paula Bedosa camp of players where they just put a ton of pressure on you every single game and the totality of that pressure seems to add up. I mean, again, Potapova's had a really good season, up to a career-high 45 in the live ranking. She's got a tough matchup, though, tomorrow as she's going to take on Diane Perry in Porto Rose. Perry, the former world junior number one, a very impressive three-set win over Donna Vekic in round number one. And Perry, currently sitting at a career-high number 71 in the live rankings, uh, is 20-21 and 21 overall in the year, 14-16 and 16 in tour-level play. But this is the first time in her career she's played more than 10 tour-level matches, let alone the 30 tour-level matches that she's played in a single season. And she's 14 and 16. She's made two third rounds at the majors, made a couple of quarterfinals at the tour level as well. She's proven she's belonged. So don't be scared off by that 14 and 16 record. Be scared off by the totality of things Potapova can do because Diane Perry, very proficient with her serve, her plus one forehand. She puts pressure on you by moving forward because she moves so well. She's also going to track down that extra ball and put a little bit pressure on her opponents to do something special. I just like the totality of things Potapova can do. Again, her ability to jump on the Diane Perry serve. Perry hits her spots well. It's not elite pace yet, though. And if it's not elite pace, Potapova is going to get a clean strike on it. I, I, Potapova is going to dominate the backhand-to-backhand exchanges. Potapova moves well enough to deal with the first strike of Perry, which is well-placed, but not always, again, the most overwhelming power yet. I just think Potapova is a little bit better at everything right now. One step further along in her development than Perry. As such, Eileen Potapova tomorrow. Now, I think that match is close. That's why I stay away from, you know, again, the game spread, which you could get more value out of. You can get Potapova tomorrow plus three and a half games, or excuse me, plus a uh, minus four and a half games for Potapova is plus 100. But Perry's going to keep things close. And so I do think, you know, again, if you want to go over 20 and a half games, minus 110, over two and a half sets, plus 145, I understand that. I'm going to go with the money line. Potapova, minus 280 to get the job done to reach another quarterfinal this season. You parlay that with the Sung money line, minus 132 
feels like pretty good value for two rising stars in professional tennis. So I'll go with Sung Potapova, Moneyline Parlay, minus 132. We'll lay the full 1.32 units to win one in return. That's ace of the day number one. Ace of the day number two, rocking with another young talent. You know we like to joke about this here at Crack Rack. It's the greatest of all time conversation. It's very boring for us here. What, are we going to continue to debate the nuances of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic? No, that's stupid. What we like to do here at Cracked Rackets is talk about the players who have yet to be eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation. Who are those young players that to date you've seen just enough of to be like, you know what? I'm not willing to write them off quite yet. For instance, you'd write off Daniil Medvedev, who's a very good player, probably going to be a Hall of Fame player. Is he going to be the greatest of all time? Probably can't say that about him anymore. Can you say that about a Carlos Alcaraz? I mean, he's won a slam at age 19. He's one of like nine players to have won 85 or higher percent of their matches through a calendar year. Now, he's still got two months to go, but you look at the list of names, it's like Lendl, Becker, Sampras, Agassi, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, him. Yes, I know those names memorized because I sent out that tweet earlier today. It's a good list to be on probably can't eliminate him from the greatest of all time conversation. Igor Sviantek, the eighth youngest player ever to three major titles, probably can't eliminate her from the greatest of all time conversation. We like to joke around about that, obviously. Don't take that conversation too seriously. But Jerry Sheng, the 17-year-old young Chinese man who's had so much success, 17-year-old Chinese teenager, I should say. He's not a man. He's a teenager who has had so much success in his teenage years and over the course of the past 18 months, dare we say, not eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation yet. And the reason you'd say that about Chang is he's on that list, and I've referred to it before. Djokovic, Delpo, Nadal, Gasquet, Felix, Zverev, and Tomic, uh, and Alcaraz. Those are the eight names that always come up when you talk about the youngest players to win challenger-level matches, win tour-level matches. And Jerry Shung finds himself on a lot of those lists now after the year he's had, winning the Lexington Challenger in August, reaching another challenger final in Canada before getting knocked out in the final by rising Kentucky junior Gabriel Diallo, who is one of the young players you absolutely should be on the lookout for, 6'7 Canadian Big serve, fluid mover, all the skills you'd want in a modern player. We'll get into Diallo a different time. The the big note on Shang is he hits the crap out of the ball. And with every passing day, every passing month, every passing data point, it just feels like he's reined that power in, become more consistent, become more physical. And again, you look for him to have, you know, reached you know, uh, at the start of July, he was playing qualifying at the Challengers, trying to get into the main draw. And he does that with wins over Ryan Harrison, Murphy Cassone, loses first round to J.J. Wolf. Next week, Indianapolis has to co- come through qualifying. He does it, beats Brandon Holt, who, of course, beat Taylor Fritz at the U.S. Open before getting knocked out by Chris Eubanks. What does he do in the two Challengers after that? No longer having to play qualifying, he wins the challenger in Lexington. He finals the challenger in Granby. Got a 5-6 and six win in his first round match over Henry Patton this week in Cary. He's an underdog tomorrow as he's going to take on number two seed Jordan Thompson. Now it's worth noting, Shang 
beat Thompson five and four in Granby a little under a month ago. He's prepared for the physicality. He's prepared, you know, for the relentlessness for Thompson's love to take that backhand a little bit earlier than he expects. And for Thompson to, again, track down that extra ball a little bit quicker than Shang expects. That said, power advantage to Jerry Shang. Go watch the tape from Granby. That match was played on Shang's terms, and he was the one dictating and moving Thompson to side to side, and Thompson had to be so reactive in that match, and look, Thompson had a good start, 3-2 win over Ryan Siegerman. This is Thompson's first action since he played the Grand B Challenger a month ago where he was knocked out by Jerry Shang. Certainly, Thompson will be more prepared for that ball. He'll probably have a little bit of revenge on his mind. You never want to lose to a teenager too times in a row. And for what it's worth tomorrow, Thompson minus 175 favorite over Jerry Shang. Uh, Shang plus 130 underdog. That would be the value play, right? To just bet on Shang as the underdog to pull the victory off again. But more than anything, I like this match to be close. I think 7-6, 4-6, 7-5, you know, something along that sort of lines or, you know, just again, keeping everything within the margin, two tight sets, maybe a 6-6, God willing, not a 6-5, or if it is a 6-5, it leans towards Jerry Shang. I think this match stays extraordinarily close and I kind of like the dog in Jerry Shang. I know it's really tough to beat a player twice in a row, particularly twice in the course of two months, but Shang is just one of those rising talents. And I do think from a weapons perspective, Thompson's serve is a little bit bigger. Jerry's just better from the baseline. He hits bigger. And Thompson, while taking the ball early, doesn't hit a big enough or heavy enough rally ball to really throw Shang off his rhythm. So I like Jerry to win this match. But I'm not going to take the plus 130 money line. I'm going to take the plus two and a half games. I'm going to take him to cover the spread at minus 115. Good enough value there where, you know, he could lose six and six or lose a tight three set match and still cover the two and a half games. So give me Jerry. Plus two and a half games, minus 115, half a unit to win 0.43. That's probably my favorite match on the board tomorrow, but there are a lot of good ones. And we might as well just start in carry and we'll work our way through the challengers first. Here's tomorrow's matches. Former TCU All-American, fun lefty with a one-handed backhand, not something you say very frequently. Alex Rybakov taking on the always tough out in Michael Moe. Look, Moe's been a top 100 player when healthy over the course of the past four years. He's just been healthy for about three total months. And look, Rybakov's going to test you physically. Rybakov's a guy who's played a lot of ITF matches over the course of the past year and has started slowly ascending his way via the two-thirds rule to the ATP challenger level. He's closing in on the top 400, top 300 now is Alex Rybakov. Two guys, same generation, I think they're both in that American Men's Fantasy Football League. Um, They know each other well. That's a tough, tight match. Mo minus 225, but more than anything, I take the over two and a half games in that one. You've also got Kozlov plus 105 dog against Uchiyama tomorrow. Kozlov wasn't great against Kingsley in round one, but the most dangerous Stefan Kozlov is Kozlov who works his way into form in the midst of a tournament. So that's a fun one. And then really good win for our guy, Ryan Harrison, who we spoke to recently in a podcast you can go listen to on the Cracked Interviews feed right now. 
Harrison just has added perspective at this point of his career. He is playing simply because he loves the sport and he thinks he still has top 100 tennis left in him. And again, when you're playing not for prize money, not to sustain yourself, which he is to some extent, but because you want to prove to yourself that you still have it and you are st- and your drive to be that top performer is still as prevalent as ever. That's a narrative I like to hear. And he's taking on another former TCU All-American in Nick Chapel tomorrow. Doesn't really have any weapons to overwhelm him with. That's a fascinating match to keep your eye on in carry for what it's worth. Kozlov, a 59% favorite over Uchiyama. Uh, 59.3 to Uchiyama's 40.7. Your closest matchup of the day, according to Tennis Abstract. But again, that's just one of four challengers we've got going on across the globe. In France, you've got former top five junior in the world, Adriana Andreev. He's a plus. 275 dog tomorrow against the always dangerous Hugo Grinier. Goyavchek taking on Daniel Masur. Two guys who have worked their way to the challenger level. Gregoire Barrer uh, taking on Evan Furness in a little all-French in France matchup. And then Dominic Team minus 320 tomorrow against Ryan Penniston. Always fascinating to see Team compete. Uh, good to see him on the challenger level saying, you know what? I need to get matches in. There's no ATP events happening this week. I'm going to go play some challenger tennis. I'm going to go uh, figure, uh, you know, try and figure out my form, figure out my level as he works his way back towards that top 50, top 20 player, even top 10 Grand Slam champion, dare I say. We know he can be. So that's something to keep your eye on. That happens early morning Thursday here on the East Coast. Of course, we also have the challengers in Istanbul as well as the challenger in Poland. I mentioned in Poland, you've got the Sung matchup. You've also got Brancasio versus Caboli, Del Bonis versus Pellegrino, uh, Bellucci versus Dennis Novak. And that was a good first round win for Dennis Novak to knock out Diego Tarante, 7 6 6 3. And then, you know, over in Istanbul, a bunch of fun matchups. You've got Alistair Gray versus Jeffrey Blancano. Gray, another former TCU All American. By the way, Chapel. Gray, Rybakov, all in action tomorrow. Good day to be a fan of the Horned Frogs. Giacino versus another talented young Frenchman in Harold Mayotte. You've got Haas versus Rosal. If this was 2012, we'd all be really excited for that Haas-Rosal match. It's just unfortunately a decade later, but that's all of your action happening on the ATP side. You look for the WTA level action. I mentioned the fact it's going to be a fun day in Porto Rose, that Perry Potapova match, the headliner, but Katarina Sinyakova, fresh off a U.S. Open Doubles title, good win for her over Jody Barrage Sinyakov. A uh, good win for her, excuse me, in round number one over Trevi San in straight sets. She's now going to take on the big hitting Jody Barrage. You've got Radakanu versus Friedsome. Radakanu top 50 watch. She wins a title this week. She's back into the top 50, which just makes your life so much easier as a pro player. Radakanu minus 650. That's a little heavy. Friedsome can be dangerous. Watch out for her weapons. And then Caillou Vaughn's a minus 130 favorite, which I don't really understand against Jasmine Paolini. Paolini ranked higher, has been the more consistent player. It's probably because we're on hard courts. And for that, you like the ball striking and aggressive tennis. Yvonne plays a little bit better, but... That's an interesting one. That's a stay away for me or maybe the over two and a half sets at 
plus 120 would be my wager on that match. According to Tennis Abstract, Paulinia, 52.7% favorite. So again, that one stood out to me as I don't quite understand the line, but you know that's your action in Portoros. In Chennai, you've got Gasanova coming off of her upset of top seed Ali Risk, the 23-year-old Russian taking on a talented young Brit. In Katie Swan, you've got Magda Lynette taking on Select Mateva. You've got Portoroska on the injury comeback trail taking on Tatiana Marie. And then Carol Chow going to try to upset Vavara Gracheva uh, as well. And then last but certainly not least, don't forget about that 125K action in Bucharest. Julia Graber has been on fire of late. And that Graber forehand is the biggest weapon on the court as she takes on 125K star Meyer Sharif. Keep an eye on that much. Simona Walter, the 22 or 3 year old Swiss player, has played quite well of late. Takes out Serana Kirstea in round one. She's taking on Yanni in round two. You've also got Bandel Belsova, Barra versus Begu. No action for me on any of those matches, but certainly fun action for us to watch as tennis fans. And if you are looking for recap, of everything that happens throughout the course of the day, head on over to our mini break podcast feed where we recap each day's events. You can find those podcasts wherever you listen to your shows or on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the fuck of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings, the DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to turn to get in on the action and test your knowledge. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Druskin. You know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. Good luck, everyone.